And that's inspired leadership is people understanding the why they got up this morning to go to work. Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. Hey, and welcome back to the Inspiring Leaders podcast. I'm your host and executive coach, Terry Lepofsky, and I'm glad that you joined us to hear our show. Today, we're exploring measurement in leadership and how to measure what matters. Our guest today, coming to us all the way from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Tim Brennan. Before I introduce you to Tim, let me just frame this a little bit. The Peter Principle tells us that people rise to their level of incompetence. And famed management guru Peter Drucker once said, what gets measured gets managed. Well, measuring is important, but it's not the whole equation. The other part of the equation is awareness, because being aware of what gets measured is a whole new plane. Well, our guest today, as I've mentioned, Mr. Tim Brennan, who's going to help us appreciate how to measure what matters. Tim, welcome to the Inspiring Leaders podcast. Thank you so much, Terry, for having me here. So, Tim, I've been waiting to ask you this first question. I'm really curious to find out what leader has inspired Tim Brennan and why. I originally started out thinking about those leaders who are the prominent ones that people would know, those leaders that inspired great movements in society. It's interesting is that as I sat back and thought more about it, the true leader that inspires me, I truly believe is one of those leaders that made a difference. And to this day, things they did still make a difference. And this is going to sound a little self-serving, but you know what? It was my mother. Doesn't surprise me, Tim. No, really. My mother, her name is Joe, Joe Brennan. Yeah. She was uh, an alderman in the city of Brantford, Ontario for about 23, 24 years, had a number of different other prominent leadership roles, municipal government, provincial level, federal level, all through her career. When I sat back and thought about it, I thought, what did she inspire me? What have I carried from her? It's about passion, belief in what matters. Yeah. Everything that she did, there was a purpose and a vision to it. And she inspired others to get things done. So she wasn't a reactive leader then. She wasn't playing a role. And I would know that because I'm the one that was at home. Right. The Joe Brennan that I saw standing in front of an audience, the Joe Brennan that I saw interacting with her constituents or interacting with the people on the street was the same Joe Brennan that was in my kitchen, in my living room. Yeah and was part of our family. It's interesting because as I even thought back about what was it that made her different. Yeah. Inspiring leaders find a way to get people to jump in their boat. I think your choice really speaks to your values. And I think that you have really inherited a lot of those values from your mother, who is a community leader. Another one leader that inspires me is my daughter. My daughter's 31 years old. And she has all those attributes that I spoke to you about my mother. I see them and her in the work that she does advocating for youth in our community. So there's a lot of pride there for your daughter then. It's interesting to see that I'm between these two bookends. <laughs> two great ladies surrounding you then. That's wonderful. Absolutely. Now, let me brag a little bit about you, Tim, because I've known you for a few years. I've been so impressed with absolutely everything that's ever come out of your mouth, everything that you're doing. 
Now, I'm going to tell people just for the backstory here that Tim Brennan really does have leadership running through his veins. This has been part of his life ever since he was a young lad on the wild streets of Brantford, Ontario, where he was a student leader following in the footsteps of his mother, the community leader. And from there, you went off to further your studies in Kingston, where you attended Queen's University. And of course, you had to fund your way through school. So as I understand this story, right, you took up an opportunity to sell ice cream on the streets of Kingston, Ontario. Oh, you have done your homework. <laughs> Selling ice cream to Canadians. I mean, uh, you couldn't be a better, a better salesperson there. And and the cool thing, uh, pardon the pun, but the cool thing about selling ice cream to Canadians is that you ended up being the second highest grossing Dickie D ice cream franchise owner in North America. Talk about taking something fairly simple and putting your best foot forward and leading, but you certainly weren't done there. You also spent time as the regional manager at Frito-Lay. Hold on now. We have a background in ice cream and potato chips. I think you just won me and three quarters of our listeners over right there. <laughs> I like to get involved with the fun stuff, Gary. I, mean, I always felt bad for the poor salesperson I would see pulling into the drugstore having to sell toothpaste. Right. Ice cream and potato chip. I think it was towards the, uh, the turn of the millennia where uh, 1998, 1997-ish, you founded the Brennan Group, and you were helping companies with hiring and employee retention strategies. And then uh, a few years later, I think it was, what, 2005, 2006, you co-founded Hiring Smart? That's right. Now it's morphed into an even bigger organization with more arms and legs called the Fit First Technologies. Right, Fit First, a technology company. You guys are based in Halifax, one of my favorite cities. You're the organizations. I love this. Chief Visionary Officer. You describe your business as helping professionals measure what matters. You're offering tools that measure who people are and you measure how people act. I have found this to be indispensable as an executive coach. It really makes a difference in what I'm doing, but why would it matter to our audience out there? These days, good organizations are now talking about growing people, not just hiring who looks best on a resume, but growing their people. And the healthiest organizations are figuring out to zero in on what to grow and how to go about growing it. And you've analyzed this. You've analyzed how people get hired, and what you found is amazing and incredibly valuable. So I hope that you can enlighten us a little bit about that and also, Tim, I've noticed that you like to ask your clients a powerful question, and that is, who are your stars and who are your passengers? So if you don't mind, Tim, a little background maybe and a little bit of insight into what you're doing with Fit First and Hiring Smart and the amazing organization that you're growing out in Halifax and serving everybody around North America and the world. You talk about measuring what matters. Well, one of the biggest challenges was trying to figure out what that was. I had spent a number of years working in the Frito-Lay world. When I was there, I think I hired about 250 people. And while I was there, I, I got it right, oh, maybe about 120 times. So a little less than half. Okay, so a little trial and error, maybe. A little trial and error. But interesting enough, in the world of recruiting, that kind of made me a superstar. 
it's kind of like baseball. If you can hit the ball once every three times, you're, you're, you're going to win the award. <laughs> Love the analogy. <laughs> the real wake-up call for me was this aha moment I had one day, and I realized, now, I'm 56 years old, and I realized that I have never met an HR manager in my life who has ever been fired from their job for inappropriately hiring someone. Oh, isn't that a little revelation? Yeah. I've only seen the people that I put in the wrong job get blamed for me hiring them. <laughs> that's deep. So that's about 1997, I be uh, 98. I became absolutely obsessed with trying to figure out why is I got it right one time and so wrong the next. What was I missing? Yeah. And I took this out into the world and I started getting other companies involved into a study. And so without going into too much detail, let me give you sort of the highlights of it. Yeah. We got about 200 organizations together. We wanted to find out what did top candidates look like? Who are the people in your organization that get hired in the hiring process? And we found that there was a whole set of criteria and a bunch of things that were common across all the companies. Things like they had a really good resume, matching what they were looking for in skills, education, that they came on time or were early for the interview, that they had done their homework, they were prepared, they knew about the company, they, or if they didn't, they had very good questions during the interview to ask during the, during the interview to learn more. And one of those questions that they would ask that was really valued was under, asking the recruiter, so tell me, why do you like working here? Oh, good question. Yeah. Yeah. And recruiters love that question. Yeah. And then after the interview, there would be a follow-up and there'd be a thank you from the candidate. When I presented this information to the group of companies that were involved in the study, they all said, wow, I wish all my candidates were like that. I'm sure there's people listening going, those are those candidates I like to bring on board. The second step was, okay, now let's take a look at the performers. So you said earlier about who are your stars and who are your passengers? Yeah, yeah. Who are those people you wish you had a basket full of? And who are those people that came in? They're okay. They're all right. But frankly, they just don't hurt you. They're there. They haven't left. They prefer flying under the radar. Yeah. Yeah, they're passengers within your business. Yeah. What do these groups have in your organization? What do they have that's in common? Because that's how they all got hired. Mm -hmm. And we started there. And one of the first things we discovered was that a lot of organizations didn't have the ability to tell us who were the people they wished they had a basket full of. We actually had to break it down into a couple of little exercises. I remember one group, it was, okay, so you've got these 26 salespeople. Now you've only got 25 life jackets. Which one doesn't have a life jacket? <laughs> like that. <laughs> so trying to help them put them into that bell curve, as it were. Yeah. What do they have in common? Well, the things we found that they had in common, obviously enough in hindsight, was they had the education and the work experience is what they had in common. Yeah. Because those were the typical filters that were used to make the shortlist. We'd hear things like, well, you know, he's a really good guy. I termed that as the uh, good guy factor. I like your labeling on that one. GGF, if we need an acronym. R right. Um, the technical acronym for it, yeah. What we saw was is that when we looked at education, work experience, the good guy factor from the interview, those things were not predictors of how they were going to land on the performance curve. Interesting. They were predictors on whether or not you were going to get into the organization. So they became admission tickets to the game, as it were. Right. Okay. A key to get through the door. A key to get through the door. Now, if all those people got through the door, what do they have that's different? And so what was it that separated them and put them on this performance curve? Right. There's about seven or eight items, but there are three that came out 
consistently, no matter whether I was looking at a, a leadership role, an executive role, or if I was looking at someone who was going to be your customer service rep at the front desk of a hotel. The big three, number one, yeah. was they learn quickly and they don't get bogged down with the wrong details. Okay. It's your top performers. They understood the instructions. They understood the nuance, the purpose, the direction of what you were saying. Mm -hmm. The passengers on the other side of the business, they were the ones who misunderstood the instructions. They may have put the emphasis on the wrong part of what you're trying to do. They would have set different priorities than what you were trying to set. Yeah. And maybe they missed the bigger picture and, and got bogged down by things a little too much. Yeah. And it's interesting, if you step back and you think in your own organization, who are the people I wish I had a basket full of? And where do they fall on that, learns quickly, and doesn't get bogged down with the wrong details? Communication breakdown is the biggest issue that we deal with, with priorities getting not executed. Yeah. So the second one was personal accountability or responsibility for their own actions. It was interesting because we saw this, we presented that one. It was the top performing salespeople, the top performing production people. The top performing people are always looking to see whether or not they can do it better. They're the first people to sign up for a workshop. These are the people willing to say, I want some feedback, even if it's not positive. Is that right? Yeah. And they take ownership of it. Right. The people on the other end of the spectrum, they blame everyone else for why things didn't work out. Of course. They blame the customer for not following the procedure. <laughs> they blame the product. They blame their boss. If the weather's bad, they blame the weather for not being in working time. Yes, of course. Right? I, that one's always one of those more, real common ones. And it's interesting is that they take personal accountability responsibility for their own actions. And they take ownership of it. Yeah. The third point was sense of humor. Sense of humor. Seriously. Yeah. I'm not saying you need to be funny, but Terry, think for a moment. You've interviewed an awful lot of people in this series. I have. If you sit back and look and say, of those people they place as the inspiring leader, the one that inspired them, the one that got them off their butt to do something. Those leaders, they're the ones who know how to use the who they are, their personality, yeah. to defuse stress and conflict by making it lighter. Wow. Love this. This is pure gold, Tim. Right? The people who actually are your poor performers or your passengers, they actually use humor to fuel stress and conflict. Whereas your top performers, they'll use humor to defuse stress and gain your commitment to their ideas. It's a positive influence factor, right? I suspect that when you have these podcasts, that some of your best ratings are when you have people who have a bit of a sense of humor. They defuse the stress and conflict within the conversation, and they gain the commitment of others to their ideas. Yeah, they can uh, take a perhaps a stressful situation and laugh at it and say, what a great learning opportunity that is. You know, something like that. And let's move forward. Yeah. So we looked at this and we said, okay, I got two different lists. I got one list of how someone becomes a great candidate. Yeah. I got another criteria for someone who becomes my top performer. Yeah. And we need to marry the two. Yeah. When you think about it, the stuff that makes you a top performer, not one of those things I just mentioned is in a resume. Of course. How do you put that in a resume, right? And if it's not in a resume, but what's the first thing we do 
in the hiring process today is we ask people to send us an updated resume. Yeah. So we've already got the wrong measurement as the first tool. <laughs> well, we've given them a key to get in through the door, but now they're in the door. We're saying, what are you doing to our culture? What are you doing to the success? Or how are you treating our clients? How do you apply all this? Yeah. So understanding the measure what matters. You brought that up earlier. Yeah. These are the things that matter. Right. The other stuff will catch you in the door. It's interesting too, is because then you can have conversations with an organization with a role and say, all right, well, let's talk about the admission tickets to this job. Yes, there are jobs where you need to have a specific education and a certificate degree. You have to have a specific education because the organization is not prepared to provide it. The hospital is not going to get you a nursing degree. So we have to come in as a, with a nursing degree. But there are 250 nurses coming out of that college this year. They all have the same education. They all have the same work experience. Which one are you going to bring into your organization? Yeah, It's going to be the other stuff. Right. Let me give you an example of, of applying it. We took this information and we started looking at a sales team. Okay. This is one of those exercises. We coined the phrase uh, PDNA, professional DNA studies. Oh, you love giving acronyms, I, love, I think. Well, see, that, that's, my, <laughs> that's my years in the snack food business. <laughs> right. <laughs> everything was an acronym on my life. And I think that's what made the 90s was our ability to create acronyms for everything. The people who succeeded in business were able to create acronyms uh, these, most easily. <laughs> and the one that could have a little guidebook to remember what they all meant was the goal. Exactly, yeah. We looked at sales teams. One of the things we discovered was people weren't really strong at understanding who a top performer and a top candidate were. Yeah. We looked at sales teams and we said, all right, let's take a look at how do you measure performance. And sales was an easy one because in sales, what you have is you've got sales dollars yeah. as the end result. And some pretty easy measurement tool here about measuring the numbers. So in this situation, let's say we, we, we had an organization that had $9 million in sales and it had 10 sales. Mm -hmm. Take the $9 million, divide it by three. So now I got three buckets of $3 million. How many of your salespeople does it take to fill each bucket? So what we did is we then stacked the 10 salespeople from top to bottom, highest performer to the poorest performer, and said, how many of the 10 salespeople do I need to fill the first bucket? The answer, statistically, as we've done this over and over again, is two. Hmm. It usually only takes 20% of your sales force to fill the first 33% of your sales. Right. Wow. Interesting. I'm putting a, a reality spin on the 80-20 rule. Yeah, Pareto's law. Yeah. Right. So the middle third is about right. Yeah. It's going to take about three people out of 10 yeah. to get you your 33%. Okay. Okay. That means half of your sales force is generating one third of your sales. Okay. So you got two, three, and five. Now, yeah. that sort of became a benchmark that we saw over time, but we'd go into other organizations and we would see it that you had as a percentage, you would see 10% of the sales force generating a third and 75% generating the bottom 50%. Oh boy. Yeah. Trouble. Trouble in the hen house. Yep. And then we start looking at, well, let's look at your hiring process. Let's look at your management process. And what we saw was there just was a whole gap of understanding what mattered in the organization. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, we have this who's in which bucket. We can then collect the data on the who they are. I'm a absolutely, truly believe it. You know, I said at the beginning about people being genuine and not playing a role. Yeah. If I have to come to any job in my organization and pretend to be that person, I'm going around with a mask on a stick in front of my face. Right. That's taking effort and energy. 
I can do it for a while, but I can't do it forever. And eventually I'm going to burn out and I'm going to get tired and I'm going to drop the mask and you're going to find out who I really am. Of course. I had an organization in Missouri the other day say, yes, Tim, that that in our organization, that happens on day 91, the, t- the day after they got their contract from the probationary period. <laughs> I was going to say, you bet. Down comes the mask. Yeah. What we found was the who they are needs to be aligned with the how they act. Yeah. So we need to measure the who they are and observe the how they act. Okay. I like that. I like that a lot. Right. That gives you the total picture. Yeah. You'll notice I didn't say measure the how they act. The reason why I'm talking about the who you are is because the who you are is your hard wiring. It's all those things that make you the person you are. Right. But you and I, we will act differently in different situations. Yeah, of course. Yes. So if I'm measuring you in a personality preference tool, I can get some interesting information, but I need to go validate it by actually observing you do what you just told me you do. Well, it's like I've heard you say many times, information's just information. It's only the starting point. That's right. You have to have that engagement. Observe your own people as well. So we look at different tools measuring different who you are. We use a suite of different tools in different situations. I'm very interested to understand how does your cognitive align with the who you are? Yeah. Uh, not how smart you are, but how do you process information? How do you deal with, with conflict naturally? How do you problem solve? Right. I'm someone who's more like a sprinter. I'm one of these people who goes, 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 multitask. Yeah. races around. And then once I've got to my goal, I'm going to have left it all on the racetrack and I'm going to need to crash and burn and recharge myself so I can go <laughs> race again. Of course. Yes, that's Tim. I've got people in my office who are marathon runners. Yes. They're naturally wired to be calm, relaxed, methodical. They're my research people. Yeah. I come into the room. I need to act like them to communicate with. Adapt. Their job is not to adapt to me. Right. Yes. As a leader, you need to adapt to the situation you find. But I can't live in their world all day and they can't live in mine. I will burn them all out. Yeah. Yeah. So. Or you'll be a fish out of water. And all of a sudden you lose your productivity, you lose your effectiveness and you lose your ability to lead because people are trying to avoid you. So there's an awful lot of depth to understanding the who you are and then understanding who your people are. Now we're talking about fit. Yeah. And fit makes the whole thing happen. You know, you take the word fit and you take it into an organization. There's there's four critical aspects. Fit. There's fit with the job. Can you do the work? Are you going to be able to handle the physical element, the emotional, you know, the strain of the work? The number one reason organizations execute their plans well or don't, a lot of times is the relationship with the manager. Yeah. We've always had a time where we've had a good or a bad relationship with the manager. And then many times, it doesn't mean we leave. It just means we disengage and wait for the manager to either move on. Yeah. Sulk in the corner for six months or a year. Yeah. The third thing is uh, fit with the team. Yeah. If you're in an organization where everything works better when one person goes on vacation, that's a warning sign. Yeah. Which then ties around to the leadership, the passions, the beliefs, the purpose, the vision. The vision. Yeah. The purpose. Of why they're there and what they're doing and how are they supporting making people better. So the four aspects of a fit, the fit with the job, the manager, the team, in the organization. Right. And now to do that, you need to get the data on everyone in the organization over time. Of course. You've got to know what the baseline is that we're measuring against. Right. And what is the fit? So if I just described in a simple term there that I'm a sprinter and I've got people with me who are, are marathon runners, if I have the awareness and I know that, 
I can be a more effective leader to my team. So you don't have to be like everybody else, but you have to fit in with everybody like a jigsaw puzzle. We can learn to work together and be effective, pulling ourselves together for a common goal, purpose, and vision. Right. It doesn't mean that we have to be the best of friends and we don't have to be like each other. You can be doing your job and I can be doing mine. In my own organization, there are three people who are the leadership team in our organization, and the three of us are completely different than each other. We find a way to come together for the common goal, purpose, and vision. But we're all very three, very unique, very different people. Yeah. So, Tim, one of the things that's really struck me about this is it's not just theory. This is hard, cold fact. And I have lived this time and time again with my clients because I, of course, lean on you and I lean on Fit First, your organization, for all of the assessments that I take leaders through when determining their fit within their organization. I lean on you for things like 360 assessments, for personality assessments. We are measuring who people are and how they do things. And so I think that everything that we're bringing forward today is vital information. It's information that every CEO should really be paying attention to because you really get down to it, the success of an organization is the customer's experience. Mm -hmm. And the customer's experience is really brought forward by the personalities and the kind of work that's done by the employees of the organization. And that in turn is influenced by the leaders in the stage that they set for those people. So it's all one big ripple effect. And if we're missing those pieces and we're not paying attention to it, like we said before, information's just information. It's not going to do anything. It's only that starting point. Absolutely, Terry. I think you summarized it up very well there. Let me summarize something else then, because I was dying to ask you this. Yeah. What do you think the biggest challenges are that are facing a lot of the leaders out there today? If I had to put my finger on one item, it's about being genuine. The biggest challenge out there is having leadership, have a view, a vision, having a purpose, and being genuine to that purpose and not playing roles, but just them being who they are. When you're who you are, that feeds all down your organization. I recognize that leaders need to be adaptable. They need to be flexible. But within the realm of what is authentic, the real problem that comes in, the biggest challenges that leaders face today is when their actions become unmoored with their intentions mm. or who they authentically are. Well said. Now, let me ask you this last question. What does inspired leadership mean to you, Tim? Well, what inspired leadership is, is leadership, someone with passion, somebody who has a pure set of beliefs, that they will defend their beliefs when the people around them aren't always on board. They're willing to help be part of the education process. They have a purpose. They've got a vision. But most importantly is that they're genuine, that they're not playing a role. This is who they are, and this is what they believe. But beliefs and values, the whole idea of people getting to why and understanding the why they're doing things, that's inspired leadership, is people understanding the why they got up this morning to go to work. Yeah, That ties it all together. Otherwise, it's just a job that I'm doing to fill time to put food on my table. The beliefs and values, yeah. The beliefs and values and the purpose and vision and then being genuine. And, and if I can come to work and be who I am all day and have conversations like this with you and just be who I am all day long, <laughs> oh my, I live in a beautiful world. I got to tell people listening, this is genuinely Tim Brennan. And it's part of the DNA of who you are ever since back pushing that Dickie D card around and becoming the second from the top in North America 
all the way to today with Fit First and everything that you're doing over there. Folks, this has been what I consider to be a very insightful discussion with an inspiring leader. Tim Brennan, thank you so much for being part of the Inspiring Leaders podcast. It's a privilege to have you on the show and to have you share your perspectives. Thanks so much. Thank you, Terry. Now, I'm going to have all of the links to you on all in the show notes. And thank you to our wonderful audience out there, particularly those people who are providing the welcome ratings on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, on TuneIn. That really helps us get found more easily. And that makes it easier for us to attract great guests like Tim Brennan. So take a couple of minutes, head on over there if you haven't done it already, leave us a few stars. And also, I want to say this, if you know someone that you'd like to hear on this show that you think is an inspiring leader, send us a quick email at info at ubiquityleadership.com. We're always open to new ideas and to new guests. Thanks very much, everybody, for your time and attention this week. Take care, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye for now. Thank you.